Right, are we ready? We are. Great. Well, the first thing I want to say is that today is a very special day. It's not my birthday. No, it's your cousin's birthday. Of course. Happy birthday, Jason. Jason, happy birthday. He was born the day before you and you've been best friends for life. Mm. So today is the 9th of March. This is the day we're recording. And tomorrow is the 10th of March, which means it is your birthday. And that's the day that this is going to be released. So, Jamie, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you very much. Hey, from all the podcasters and me. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, right. So here we are. And where are we? We are in the port of Tarakan. Yeah. So this is in Indonesia. We have properly checked in. We really are here. And um, we've got the stamps and the passports. Yes, that's right. Because last time we were sort of in the middle of the process and then we did five days quarantine. But we have, and that was in Nunakan, which is on the border of Malaysia. Well, we've now made progress. We are now in Tarakan. It wasn't without its headaches, but we'll perhaps talk about those two nightmares from hell yes. in a moment. We'll do that in a minute, but first of all, I want to address the elephant in the room, which is you always going on about <laughs> ambient sounds. Yes. And I don't know if anyone can hear, there is a boat going past right now as I'm talking, but what I want to say to you is this, and this is what I think, and this is what all our listeners think, they like ambient sounds. Not one person said, oh, I hate your podcast because I can hear stuff going on in the background. Not one. Instead, most people have said, or everybody who has made a comment has said, I love the ambient sounds. It makes me feel I'm in the, I'm in the cockpit with you, enjoying all the sounds with you. Well, I'm, I'm twitching here. <laughs> I have so many things to say to address. But the first thing I'm going to say is, this is the last time I'm going to mention background noise. Hooray. I'm not going to talk about it ever again. However... I mentioned Tarakan. It is an extremely busy port. In fact, I think this is perhaps the busiest place we have ever anchored in literally years. I agree. We have chosen what appears to be the busiest bit of the whole port as well. I think it's just busy everywhere. And so we do have many, many boats buzzing past, but I'm not going to go on about it because if they are so loud, we will edit them out. But I wanted to comment on uh, Kurt Ambrose's comment oh, yes. he left behind. He said, background noise is not bothersome. You hear it because you're on a boat. And, uh, and that's a fair point because the lav mics we're wearing are picking up our voices, but perhaps not this boat that's going past right now. Yeah. Whereas we can obviously hear it in, you know, in this cockpit, it's echoing around. So I appreciate that. He actually said, we're listening through a microphone. <laughs> so I don't quite, I mean, you can do that. You can use a microphone as a, as a speaker. So that's how he's listening to it. Okay. Um, but I have to say, as an editor, I use monitor headphones. So I've got some Audio-Technica headphones, and these are designed to, uh, uh, to bring out every single sound that you can hear. So when I'm editing, I can hear it, but I think it does depend how you listen to the podcast. Some people can't hear the background noise. Yeah. So I think it, that is fair enough. Okay, I, I think but when he says he's listening through a microphone, he means he's listening through our microphones. He's not in the cockpit. Isn't that what he means? I'm you can't not. listen through a microphone. Kurt, what do you mean? Are yeah. you listening through a microphone or are you listening to our voices? Or did he mean headphone and right microphone? Perhaps. But he said, you talk about background noise on every episode, <laughs> but we don't care. Hooray! So from here on in, and just for you, Kurt, I'm never going to talk about it again. And if any of you have any complaints about the background noise in Tarakan, the world's busiest port, <laughs> 
that's it, you know, that, I'm done. So I just want to say something about Tarakan. Um, it looks really interesting. We haven't been ashore yet. We arrived yesterday after 10 hours, um, just before the dark, but we will go in. We're going to spend a couple of, two or three days here. What's great is the welcome we got, because as we came in, Port Control got on one, Channel 16 to each of the boats and spoke to us. And instead of having to go to the harbour master and present documents and all this nonsense, they said, oh, just send them over on WhatsApp, gave mm. us the WhatsApp number. So that made life really easy for us. And then he proceeded, once he had us on WhatsApp, to send us lots of photos of nice places to see. Never been anywhere where a harbour master's done that, have we? I mean, the harbour master normally, they're tucked away in their office and uh, they don't want anything to do with you unless you're in there with your boat documents. But he yeah. was sending us through pictures of, apparently there's an Australian war memorial here from the Second World War, so we want to learn a little bit more about that. Mm. Um, yeah, and so 99% of his communication was tourist attractions in Tarakan. Obviously yeah. just so happy that we're here. Incredibly welcoming, just wonderful. And all these little boats that keep hovering around us, they're all doing work. They're off to do their jobs, whether it be fishing or ferrying people back and forth. But they're coming past, having a good look in, but with just with full of smiles mm. and great curiosity. Because when you think about it, this is not a cruising destination. No. And they probably very rarely see yachts, don't you think? think Sorry, so. sailboats. I, th I think uh, a couple of rallies in the past they come through here, oh, don't, okay. don't they? So they might see the odd sailboat, but exactly as you say, they won't have seen anything for a long while. So we're perhaps a bit of a novelty, but hey, isn't it great to be back in Indonesia? I mean, being here and seeing all these people smiling and waving and slowing down to, to greet us, harbour master sending us tourist attractions by WhatsApp, it just reminds me how much I do love Indonesia and the Indonesians. Me too, me too. I mean, we've, we've arrived here. We don't know how long we're going to be here and don't even know where exactly we're going to go. We, we're kind of leaving it open. If we find somewhere we love, we'll stay a little bit longer. Mm. Um, we want to try to get to Raja Ampat, but who knows? We just don't, you know, it's not just about going to the tourist destinations. Being part of this whole Indonesian community, I couldn't agree more. I love these guys. We've forgotten, haven't we? Anyway, so enough of all that. You, it was great that you read that comment out, by the way, because I've had a real problem trying to copy and paste comments. So I'm very short on comments this week to, to read out. Um, but that, that was a good one. Yes, we should just explain that uh, we did have internet in Nunakan. It seems yeah. as if we used up all our data. We haven't been ashore. So we're quite restricted on data. I don't actually even know how we're going to upload this podcast, nope. to be honest. Nope. Uh, but we do need to go ashore and address that. So as a consequence, as you say, it does mean we've been limited in what comments we can actually yes. copy and paste. Yeah, so we, we read them all, of course, and we try to reply pretty much to all of them whenever we can. So we're going to just kind of wing it this time. Normally we talk about the previous two. So we had, um, on Sunday, we had 292, episode 292, which was all about lots of stuff, but it, it was about our sailing and getting away. But it also included problems with our BNG repeaters, which we discuss and show on camera, and also the water pump failure, yeah. which you dealt with. Yeah. So? So, I did manage to keep this one, which I thought was quite funny about BNG. This was Colin Mills, who said, I had planned to upgrade to BNG. Now, you see, I think this, you tell me if you can't hear this, listening on the podcast. Should we just leave it just for a minute? Yeah. That's way 
That's loud. Yeah, that's louder. I think I'm louder. <laughs> Hello, I'm Liz. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Follow the Boat, in which we discuss what it's really like to give it all up to live on a boat. And go travelling around the world. We've been doing it since 2006, and we're still at it. Each week we talk about our latest YouTube video. And about boats, sailing, travel, or anything else which floats into our heads. And if you leave a comment we like, we'll give you an answer and a name check. Peace, Peace and, and fair, fair winds. Right, sorry about that, Liz. I did insist on editing that boat out because that was way too loud. So, please, continue. Yeah, before I was so rudely interrupted, Colin Mills has says this. I had planned to upgrade to B&G when the time comes, but I've seen so many B&G failures and the seeming lack of concern by B&G that I will either stick with Raymarine or try Garmin. To which sailing yacht Salty Lass replies, we had Raymarine issues, so we bought a B&G. Laugh, yeah. laugh, laugh. Uh, I thought that was a great comment, and I think that says it all, really, because you never, you never can tell. We went through this dilemma when we refitted the boat. We had to make that decision because we had had B&G previously, the old H2000 system or whatever it was called. And um, the thing that was going through my mind was Raymarine and how much Raymarine uh, has service, how many more service points it has around the world versus B&G. So yeah. that was one of my concerns. Um, but. You know, talking to people who had Raymarine back then, there were so many people who said, well, I've had nothing but problems with it. You know, stick with B&G, they have a good reputation. Um, but conversely, as Colin has pointed out, the same is said vice versa, so. Well, yes, don't you think that it's the nature of the beast? We're dealing with really fine electronics in, yeah. a, in a marine, harsh environment, and potentially any of them can fail. Uh, you get any kind of water ingress or any kind of problem like that. I think they're just really, really, they're just not robust enough, many of them. No, they should be. No, that's I not know. an excuse. They should no. be robust enough. And the BNG equipment we've had in the past has been robust enough. I think Colin's point, though, about lack of care or service yeah. is a good one. Yeah. Now, I don't want to slag off BNG publicly. Yeah. However, I have been in contact with them now for the last month via Twitter and email and I've got nowhere with them. They just haven't replied to my email. So on Twitter publicly, yeah. they said, oh, send us an email. Yeah. So I sent them an email and it comes back with that auto-generated service ticket thing, we'll be in touch soon. Three weeks later, nothing, despite going backwards and forwards saying, hey, I haven't heard from you guys. It was their suggestion to do this. I think we were a little bit spoiled because when we installed the B&G equipment, we had a point of contact, a named point of contact at B&G, who was very good at assisting us and helping us install the system and actually building the whole thing together for us. And we don't have that contact anymore because he doesn't work there anymore. Um, but it, it's, it is just an example, I think, that Colin is highlighting that if you don't get that level of service. And let's face it, we're talking about equipment that costs many thousands of pounds to install. It does kind of put you off a bit. Yeah, it definitely does. And we've ended up having to buy um, um, a replacement for one of them. It was over a thousand pounds for two, which we couldn't afford. And really all we're asking them is what the hell happened? Yeah. We don't understand it. Both went, both went at exactly the same time. And there is no explanation for what has caused it. And we don't want that to happen again. Yeah. That they came back and said it's the sun. 
Uh, did, did I explain this last week? Yeah, we've talked about it, but we, we know it can't be because the... They're covered. Yeah, they're covered they're, all they're, of the time. They're covered by this. They get no salt water, no yeah. sun. Yeah. And this has a lot more. The um, the, chart, the plotter, chart plotter. That's more weather facing, yeah. and there's no problems with that. So, yeah. yeah um, but I did like Salty Lassie's reply. Yeah, I know. Who, who, you know, saying, "Well, we've gone the other way yeah. uh, because of the issues we have heard with Raymarine." And we don't just want to highlight these two companies. It, I think this is just it's typical of everything, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Anything that you buy for a boat, there are many manufacturers out there. Your choices are endless, and um, you just have to make an informed decision on you yeah. know, which one to go And then for. just, you know, go with it, stuck with it. Anyway, so we've got our new one in. That's something you did in the last week. You put yep. the new repeater in. What do you think of it? It's different, isn't it? Well, it, it's nice having one that's actually got a white background mm. and not a sort of tea-coloured mm. background that's very difficult to read. Um, so the repeater that we've replaced, that's the one that normally shows our course and our heading. So when we're on autopilot, obviously you have a course to steer. And the old one used to have two big numbers in the top left and the top right of the screen. One would be your actual heading and one would be your course, I think. But they were very useful. And they've done away with that now, and they've gone for much smaller numbers, which are much more difficult to read. So your, the, your actual course is this tiny little number at the top. Now, I'll admit, I haven't RTFM, RTFL, <laughs> M, RTFM, read the flipping manual yes. yet. So there may be other pages we can pre-program. The other thing is the rudder count. So I can't see it, it's so small. I can't see it. I think you definitely do need to read that manual because I'm sure that you can, you must be able to take the repeater and have it display exactly the way you want to. Yeah. We've got to give that a try. I mean I like it, I like it, it's, it's, but anything's better than what we had I suppose. For sure, definitely. Oh well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going with that and see what happens. So that's one thing we did in the last week. You've already mentioned quarantine, five days on the boat, not moving in Nunacan. How did we got through that all right, didn't we? Yeah, it's no problem at yeah. all. I mean, the, the support that we got, again, this is typical of Indonesia. The guys ashore were nothing but helpful. They, lovely. they were so good to us. They really looked after us. And it was a shame because we wanted to go and have a look at Nunacan, this tiny little town that nobody ever visits. Um, but they've got quite a bad outbreak there of COVID at the moment. So we were advised not to go ashore by even, our agent. Even though they have, their vaccination rate was 80%, 80%. Uh, but yes, they're, they're, they're currently having that wave of Omicron. So they, we were advised not really to go. It wasn't that we couldn't, but they just said, really don't. Yeah, but they wanted us to. You could tell when we spoke to the locals. Anyway, hopefully on the way back, if we make it back there, we can go ashore. So moving on, here we are now, we're in Tarakan. Another message that I did manage to copy and paste um, was about the pump. And that kind of goes on to what happened this week. So our H, it's better to replace it now as to wait till later. If the stuff and tools are at hand fast enough, it doesn't take too long. And on the plus side, the mines shuts up about it after it is done too. Mm. Okay, not the most perfect English. I should have read that first. But yeah, the gist being if you've done it, it's sorted. You haven't got to worry about it anymore. So that you did and it was great. Yeah, and I think he has a very good point there that... Um, you know, those little jobs, they niggle. Yeah. They niggle in the back of your mind. Yeah. And I st and I think every cruiser always has a list of jobs in yes. the back of their mind. They know they've got to get on top of this, that and the other. 
every single job that niggles on the back of your mind is piling up yeah. and if you're not careful it can really start to stress you out. Yeah, so the, the other acronym applies, doesn't it? JFDI. Just do Flipping do uh, it. Oh, right, yeah. I haven't <laughs> heard that one. Just flipping do it. Yes. We used to use that all the time at work when people would complain, just flipping do it. Yeah. JFDI. Yeah. Well, and you we, did it. We have a very good story yes. now, which, as you said, it relates to what happens this week. It also relates to the fact as to why we are probably very tired right now. <laughs> we have had, for the last two nights, some horrendous squalls coming through. Three nights, count last night. Uh, that's true, yes, three nights running. The first night was the worst. We left mm. Nunacan, we made it just down the coast, 15 miles down the coast to get a head start to head down here. And uh, we anchored in the best place we could get protection from the predicted northerlies, which mm. we did. However, the westerly that came in was a westerly that uh, blindsided us, basically. It certainly did. We had big waves. We had a metre and a half breaking waves. Now, a metre and a half breaking waves when you're sailing, no problem. When you're at anchor, uh, that is one of your worst nightmares because so many things can go wrong. First of all, I always worry about the anchor chain and the snubber. and the snubber because that's taking so much. If you, so for those that don't quite understand, if you imagine a boat ploughing through waves when it's sailing, it's hob, what I say hobby horsing, you yeah. know, rocking backwards and forwards. So the bow is lifting up and down. Well, when that bow is not secured to an anchor at sea, that's fine. It's not putting any great strain on the boat. But as you say, when you've got all that ground tackle pinning trying to pull down the bow of that boat mm. and it's trying to move upwards mm. there are so many things that can go wrong my worst scenario is actually the windlass being ripped yes. off the deck yes. because if the snubber goes all that strain is putting on the chain and yeah. that because we've got a, a, a deck mounted windlass now it's not a through deck we need to explain what a snubber is because some people listen to this who are not familiar with that so a snubber takes a lot of the strain away from the chain so it's attached to the train chain and then it comes up through a fair, fair lead onto a cleat onto the deck. So it's, it's basically it's holding the chain away so it's not all the pressure on the chain. I haven't described that very well, but no, how but else can you...? It, I suppose it's like an elastic... Yeah. So it has elasticity. Yeah, it's a rope, but it's wo it's woven in a way that it's, it allows it to stretch. It's the same kind of line you'd use as warps and springs, you know, the lines that you use to tie a boat to, to yeah. a dock. They have this elasticity, and so when that when the boat is moving up and down rather than the chain which obviously doesn't have any stretch mm. in it you don't get that snatching motion mm. you get a bit of stretch mm. um, but a bit like a leader line in fishing you have to have some stretch at the very end so when the snatch is taken it allows that line to stretch a bit otherwise you just break the line yeah yeah so I mean that that's just and just the ground tackle alone is what can go wrong. Of course, your anchor you could lose your anchor. The chain could snap. The windlass could come off, or you could drag, and that Easily. is what happened with two of the four boats at anchor. We dragged a bit as well. Yeah. So we when the tide switched, and don't forget we've got currents in this area of over two knots, two and a half knot currents. Uh, which in Southeast Asia is quite unheard of. Um, well, certainly for, from our experience. I know in the West, around the UK, Canada, uh, Northern America, perhaps, you know, you, this is quite normal, but over here, not so much. 
and when that tide turned the anchor reset and it reset by about 40 meters so it dragged 40 meters before resetting once it had reset that was it it was fine we were good um, but two of the other boats dragged and one in particular dragged a fair way now under those conditions getting up the anchor is difficult it's anyway horrible it's a 30 knots of wind rain easily yeah and but but also i'm thinking of the motion of the yeah, boat yeah. if you imagine you're trying to pull up your anchor now if your anchor is dug in and you're trying to you that's when you do have to create tension on that chain you normally have to drive over the top of it to break the anchor out of the mud well next morning when we tried to break our anchor it took us 20 minutes just you know driving around the anchor trying to break it it was well and truly dug right in there was no way we were going to shift anywhere yeah but the important thing is that, that on that particular boat is that they, the previous morning, had had a real problem getting the anchor up from Nunacan. Yep. And it meant, in fact, that they, they had a problem with the winch, didn't they? That's right, with the windlass. With the windlass, sorry, yeah. And, yeah. and they repaired it. Yes. They, we actually left them behind. We radioed through and said, are you OK? They appeared to be having problems. They said, no, no, we just need to sort out the windlass. And it was, it was the same day. Yeah, so that was in the morning. That was in the morning. So they got the, So what I want to say is they got it up, they got the anchor up, it was fine, sorted it all out, but there was a problem with the windlass and it would have been very easy just to leave it. Yeah, so here we are, full circle, back to what yeah. we were talking about, about getting those jobs done. Yeah. They, were, they did the right thing and repaired the windlass there and then. Had they not have done that, that night could have turned into a, a, a true nightmare for them. So they did the right thing. They got on. They just got on the case with the job. Yeah. So as soon as they knew that there was a problem, they were able to get the anchor up. They were able then just to motor into wind, while they looked around for a new new spot a bit further away from land, or further away from the rest of us. And they found themselves a new spot, and they were okay, and they anchored well. Yeah. There's a. I mean, there's a few lessons to be learned from that one night. There. We. There were four of us, and. Uh, you know, we were anchored, and we weren't anchored close together, but no. under those conditions, I think one of the first lessons is give each other lots and lots of space. Try and put out at least four times, if not five times scope. Yeah. So for those that don't understand, the general rule of thumb is three times scope. This means if you're in 10 meters of water, you put out at least 30 meters of chain to allow for that movement. Um, as a rule, we almost always put out at least four times scope. Yes, or five. Or five if you can. The general saying is it's no good to you in the locker, get the chain out on the, yeah. on the seabed, yeah. The other useful lesson to be learned was to keep the AIS on because yes. we, I actually asked Daryl um, on Freysonet to put his AIS on and he did and so that meant I could actually monitor rather than trying to judge is he moving and as you've said you know in the dark everything looks that much closer uh, by monitoring him on the chart plotter with his AIS I could see he did not budge one single bit and it was really useful having his AIS on there. Yeah it was. So um, that was quite a night that was the first night. That was the first night. And that was one hell of a storm none of us got much sleep so we were on anchor we were in the cockpit the whole time monitoring where we were looking at our track checking the AIS, uh, but it wasn't a full-blown storm. It was short-lived, wasn't it? It's so two or three hours. So most of these squalls, I mean, I experienced previously a squall whips through in half an hour, yeah. but I think these these are big systems that come off the land and they, they seem to last about two or three hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time to be bouncing up and down and uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we would, 
we were very tired and none of us got much sleep that night. And then next day, of course, we had to do the same distance again, about 40 miles. Now at this point, if you look on a, a map or a chart down this east coast, uh, it's all estuaries and yeah. rivers. And so you're contending with rising and falling tides and big masses of water coming off the land. So there are currents, strong currents, going in both directions. Yeah. So there's never a, a good time to go because you're always going to encounter the current going the wrong way at some point. Mm. So we had to leave really early. We had to leave before six, I think even earlier than that, in order to cover the distance, assuming that we wouldn't make our average of five knots. Well, we were making two and a half knots know. At, uh, you know, at certain points. And so we came into this second anchorage and that was going in, heading towards land west. And we were doing two and a half knots for what felt like all day, but <laughs> yeah. it, it was probably two, three, four hours, I think, going at that speed. And eventually we, uh, we dropped anchor and then we went through the same thing again yeah. that second night with another squall. This time though, we all anchored at half a mile apart <laughs> yes. from each other. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, uh, and we got through that and we didn't have the rain coming in through the back because that was the other thing that, that, no, that was night it did. Mm. So it was wind against tide. Wind against tide, so the chain is running backwards yeah. and the boat's trying to point in one direction and then the, the weather's pushing in the other direction. <laughs> well, the rain came straight into the cockpit and we had to go down below. It was very hot and steamy. It was very hot because, of course, the engine had been on all day So and, and then we have to close all the hatches in the boat. So now you're down below in a very hot boat with no air and it's doing this. Yeah. It's bouncing up and down. Yeah. It's, not, it's not nice at all. It yeah. really isn't. Uh, but eventually, I don't know if the tide turned, but something happened and the boat was at least able to point into both wind and waves. And that was much nicer and that was quite peaceful. Well, you, uh, rel <laughs> relatively speaking, where the boat is still hobby-horsing and yes. bouncing up and down, but at least it's doing it in the right Yeah, it's not direction. going against the wind, it's got yeah. the wind with it. Oh gosh, I mean yes, no, going into wind was better. It's when the wind's, oh anyway, enough of all that. And then yesterday we had a another long, long day because the estuary to getting to this port, uh, we were just making two knots and then we were watching the tide, watching the tide, it's going to turn, it's going to turn, it's going to turn and all of a sudden it turned, bang, up to five, six knots. Well, we hit six and a half. We yeah. didn't, didn't touch the revs on the engine and no. we went from two and a half to six and a half. Yeah. Um, and yesterday's journey was difficult because, as you say, we had to avoid all the shallow patches. So we ended up doing a big horseshoe uh, shaped track yeah. in order to avoid the shallow patches in the middle. So you're almost doubling the distance and then you're halving the speed. So yeah. it was six of one half dozen of the other. Long old day, but we're here, we made it uh, and it will only get better. Although we have got to, next week, we've got to go past the most estuaries in one go. I mean, huge estuarine area. Yes. We've got to get past all of that. We're not allowed to anchor. There's no anchor zone. We've got to get through it. So I reckon we should go out as far as we can and go and go south that way, although you're even considering just leaving altogether. Uh, the reason why yeah. I said that is, you know, sometimes I, I love this lifestyle. I love cruising, but it's not perfect all the time. No. I get down sometimes and those situations are what get me down the most is mm. when I haven't had much sleep, I wake up exhausted, I'm already tired, and then you have another shitty day of slow, laborious motoring only to drop the hook in the evening and then just get battered for a second night running and not get much sleep that's when i get down and i just i just think why are we doing this so we call this the whinge podcast yes 
No, but I the think one where we win. I, I'm going to defend myself here, and you know, you're the idealist. I'm the realist. <laughs> there are days when it is like this. There are, but you have to rise above it, my dear. Yes, and of course the aim is to get somewhere beautiful. And hey, this place is... This is great, yeah. but I keep telling you the next place, we, we can't ignore it, the next place is supposed to be one of the best dive spots in the world. We're in the Coral Triangle. It's got the most amount of sea life. Uh, there are beautiful things to see, so it'd be a shame to miss that out. I think we have to get there. Do you agree, or maybe you disagree? Leave a comment for us on Twitter at Follow the Boat. So for the last 10-15 minutes we've been talking about all of these places and locations. Yes. And I think for a lot of people they're probably wondering where the hell are you talking about? Yes. Now David Clark in last week's podcast said it would have been nice if you had a chart on the table to point out where you are talking about actually. And it's a good point David but he wrote this under last week's podcast mm. and what we have to remember is this is a podcast and by definition a podcast is audio only so he's obviously writing this comment on YouTube for everyone that's watching this podcast on YouTube that is merely a bonus but really this is just an audio podcast so having a chart on the table wouldn't help those who are listening no and if you want to know where we're going and where we are you just watch the Sunday YouTube episodes which are all visual and you include charts and maps in all of those and we also say out loud and I think last week I did say look it up it's here this is the name of it so this is Tarakan T-A-R-A-K-A-N this is where we are now you'll find it on any good map and that'll give you a good idea of where we are I think that's a great point but also going on from that Ian Lyle said why are you so concerned about giving away your destination your videos are at least one to two weeks behind, if not more. Are you afraid the pirates watch your YouTube channel? So that kind of, it's interesting that both those things came up at the same time. Somebody wanting a chart and someone saying, well, why are you worried about giving it away? It's a fair point. I, I laughed at Ian's comment and I think he, he's having a bit of fun yeah. as well. Yeah. But it did conjure, I, it just conjured up images of <laughs> a one-legged hook-armed pirate <laughs> sitting on his tool ship with the skull and crossbones flying with a laptop checking <laughs> marinetraffic.com to see whereabouts Esper was. Avidly watching Follow the Bot Follow the Bot episodes. On, on, on YouTube, yes. Yeah. No, I mean, the, the thing is, Ian, is that it, there's a couple of reasons why we do this. And the first is actually out of respect for the other boats. That's the main one. The other boats know that we have a YouTube channel and we are talking about all yeah. these places. And so there is that. But I think the second point that's worth making is that a lot of the piracy problems that they are having in this area are not just coming from the islands like Jolo, um, the, the Filipino islands. There have been news reports, and you can look them up, of supposed extremists actually making landfall on Sabah. Yes, recruiting. We have uh, heard from reliable sources that they have even tried to break up some of these cells mm on the coast of Sabah. So well, this is Malaysia. So the piracy problem isn't just at sea. It is all around us and potentially along the coast. I mean, the last one I read was that they thought uh, pirates, mm. extremists, had landed in Lahadatu. Mm. And that's one of the towns that we actually sailed past. Mm. So it is a very real threat. It's not just a, a random tall ship with the skull no, and cross, no. you know, it, it, no. 
it, it's much more holistic. The problem is much more... Yes. We know it's real, and that's why ESCOM are totally all over that area the yeah. whole time. There's lots of things that they do that are not reported. We, we have an inside to ESCOM. We know that they're very busy sorting out those problems. And to see five boats going along the coast with their big white sails, we stick out like a sore thumb. It just takes one person to see us and to semaphore to everybody else probably just using their phone. WhatsApp. Uh, yeah. They'll be WhatsApping each other. I yeah. mean, and I actually replied to Ian, and I, I did say to him, there was one, at one point on our trip down, I had a stranger come up to me and saying, oh, you're off to wherever it was, wherever our next destination was. And I thought, well, how on earth do you know where we're going? Well, it doesn't take much for news to travel fast, especially when you've got these four strange sailboats appearing for the first time in you know a couple of years that's obviously going to generate some interest and you know that kind of news can travel to the wrong people yes it can so it is something we do have to take seriously this is one of the world's hotspots so i think we did the right thing but of course now we're we're past that part of the, of the world and we're heading further south we're getting away from the the dangerous area hopefully touchwood we still will be very mindful of what's going on out at sea and keeping a, a, a lookout but from now on podcasts and episodes will include details of where we are yes okay so just out of left field michael tillman says i like the fuzzy dice hanging in the cockpit they made me think pimp daddy and pink lady <laughs> explain the dice <laughs> i am an essex boy and if you don't know what an essex boy is look it up you've probably heard of essex girls well, you know... Essex is a place in the UK. It's, it's a county <laughs> yeah. in the UK, and it's famous for a few things. Not least its historical relevance to the world, uh, but also fluffy dice is something that an Essex boy would have hanging... Flashing the cash. And... From, from his Ford Capri or yeah. perhaps a Ford Mark I Escort. It'd have fluffy dice. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's a, it's a hang-up from my Essex boy days. Yes. So we have a, a black pair and a white pair. They were given to us as, as, a, as a gift, weren't they? Did you buy them? I can't remember. So these ones were a gift. We actually had, I had a pair of full-size, because these are mini fluffy dice. I had full fluffy dice and I hung them from the boom when we very first bought the boat and you were incredulous. You <laughs> you hated the idea. Because I'm not an Essex girl. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, do, I love them. I think they're great. So you won't be able to see them here on the podcast, but if you watch one of our episodes and you see inside the cockpit, they're very clear. You can't miss them. Yes. I like that. I just wanted to get that one out there. And then uh, another person on uh, YouTube, Jerome Herbert. Just curious what type of sun protection or sunscreen you use, if any, to protect from the harmful rays of the sun. And it is such an important subject. We have raised it in the past. I'm just going to lean across and grab, okay. and grab it because I said to him, I don't know the brand, it's uh, some Factor 50 kiddies stuff. It's actually Factor 110. Yeah. And it's made by a company called Banana Boat. So, you know, it's the kind of stuff you put on and it doesn't really disappear. You literally just create White. a... Yeah. So um, we do use that. We have it in the cockpit all the time for faces. Don't worry so much about arms and legs because they're like rhinoceros hides now and uh, they're very brown. They don't really burn. Occasionally I'll put a bit on, my, on the backs of my legs. But faces, I, for me, I put factor 60 on as soon as I get up before even you know, we start the day. Put that on my face, let it sink in. 
and then we put that on throughout the day but it's really 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 important it is and I, I'll be honest I often forget to put it on before it's too late so I need to get into that habit I tell you what else is a problem is trying to color correct our video footage <laughs> <laughs> because especially if we're using different cameras one day uh, you know my, my face is perhaps a little bit browner and then next day it's bright red <laughs> that's what it's like in real life it, it is actually my, my I'm much redder you're 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 browner, you're... Yes, I'm more sallow skinned. Sallow, so I don't really go so red as you. Yes. So when you put us together, if you try and colour correct, I go green yes. or you go, go purple. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult, yeah, we've got definitely got very different skin. Uh, it is no joke, you've got, to, you've got to keep yourself covered. And what we would recommend is do what we do if you're on a boat, just keep some in the cockpit. So as you come up the stairs, just whack it on straight away. Yeah, yeah. Important topic. Um, do you have anything else that you particularly wanted to talk about, apart from the fact that I caught that barracuda? Oh yes, you caught barracuda and we successfully managed to take it off the hook and put him back in the water. Yeah, that was, that was interesting because I was whinging on about the fact that my line broke and the line that I'd bought um, back in okay. KK. Is this, a, is this a 10 minute fishing no, story? No, 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 just quickly, okay. just to remind people that that line I had to throw away, it was all crap. So I then had to rejig the line with some, some other mono. And although we, th we threw the barracuda back because we don't eat it, um, it fought, it was jumping the whole fish out of the water, twirling, twizzling, doing everything it could to get off that. This, this, is, this is turning into didn't. a 10 minute. It just means that my new line is good. Well done. Yeah. Oh yes, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, but more to the point, I'm glad we were able to get the barracuda off the I hook, know. back in the water. He was a bit stunned. We watched him and he sort of, he lay on the surface for about 30 yeah. seconds and then eventually he kicked into life and he off swam he off again. Yeah. So that's always a good thing yeah. when you see that happen. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite shallow and murky water around here and that is definitely barracuda, not mackerel or tuna water. So I'm hoping when we get out of the estuaries, we're gonna get some good fish again. Right, well, I'm gonna call it a day because yes. we have things to do. It's our first day in Tarakan, got a lot to do, got to finish this, get this up on the, on the YouTube, and then we've got to do fuel, and what are you gonna to do today? Well, you just said what I'm gonna do, it's fuel, no doubt. So the problem I have now, of course, is that we're at the end of our Malaysian fuel, so any fuel we get now is going to be from Indonesia. Indonesia is notorious for not very clean fuel.